Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Good afternoon, Father Ryan. Hello, Tommy Dome. Well, here we are. It's Holy Thursday afternoon. A wonderful day for you personally and for the church. Why you personally? Uh, it's the day where we honor the uh, institution of the priesthood by Jesus. Yes, and the institution of the Blessed Sacrament, and the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, a lot going on. And the commandment of the Lord for humble service. Yes, washing of the feet. We are talking about a special new addition to our church. We're going to talk about our new tabernacle, which just showed up. It has been being constructed for many, many months. Yes. And then it just arrived and was just put in this morning. And the first Mass that will be celebrated with it is going to be Holy Thursday Mass, which is totally providential. Yeah, be absolutely miraculous in many ways, actually. So we're going to have a short little conversation about what is a tabernacle and who is a tabernacle and who's in the tabernacle <laughs> and um, the purpose, the symbolism... Why'd we do this and all that? Great. So where should we start? Let's just start with us at St. Basil's. Okay. So, um, yeah, this actually goes back to uh, Father Walt himself. Uh, before Father Walt gave me the keys to the building, <laughs> he said, uh, he said, good luck. They're great people here. He said, it's a good church. You'll love it. And I said, okay. And uh, it's been very true. And I said, hey, quick question. If you had like five more years or 10 more years here, where would you direct your attention, like as far as like campus goes, you know? And he said, uh, the church. And he goes, it's just become tired and a little bit worn down and need some attention. We need it. You probably need to do some things in the church. So mm -hmm. I was in the back of my mind. And um, the longer I've worshipped here, the talking to people in different worship committees, art and environment committee, Christ Unity's parish retreats, the seniors groups, things like this, and having several people approach me. Uh, the one of the things I kept hearing was, Father, we would love a new tabernacle. Um, the one we have has been here since the beginning, and it's beautiful. It means something to us, but we really would love something that stands out. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then, thanks be to God, uh, someone approached me and said, Father, we've been able to have a beautiful retirement, and we'd like to donate some money to St. Basil's, and we'd like to talk to you about different projects you think about doing here over the next couple of years and we'd like to donate some money to help you accomplish one of those projects. And so I let them know a few of them, a new tabernacle being one of them. Mm -hmm. And this couple said, that's what we'd like to do. We'd like to purchase a new tabernacle. Father, you pick it out because you know the design that we're going to overall what's best for our space. Mm -hmm. But we want to support you in that. And that's kind of a quick rendition of how we got a new tabernacle. So it was born out of the need for an updating for the church. Yes. Not just the sanctuary, but it's part of a larger church renovation project. Correct. That's going to include carpeting and pews and sound and, and lighting. lighting and some sanctuary work. Yes. And this is sort of the first piece, and this can serve as a central focus. Literally, it's central <laughs> to the sanctuary and a major focal point. Uh, but it also can be a, a sign of unity and a sign of progress and hope forward and things to come because this is just the first big piece that's coming in. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. And uh, and just just really grateful. I mean, this whole parish has been as vibrant as is because people dedicate their time. A lot of volunteers in this parish, their talent, a lot of very talented people saying, I want to 
help in any way I can. And then also their treasure. A lot of people in this community have been blessed with successful businesses and they want to use that blessing to make a church that will be vibrant, not just for them, but for their kids, grandkids, great grandkids, even some uh, some people at an age saying, I've changed my will. So some money would go to the church rather than just my kids because my church, my kids don't go to church anymore, but mm-hmm. I love my church. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my gosh, that's really generous and a real sign of faith. And so we have a great finance council that helps me manage the money well. And uh, we make sure we can do this in such a way as to honor God and make St. Basil's vibrant both now and 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, we can still make disciples of Jesus and sons and daughters for God. So that's really the hope of it all. Yeah, we're a real lucky parish in that so many people in so many different ways have found ways to be a gift to the parish. <laughs> Very much so. I credit my predecessor, Father Walt, for that. Uh, not ruling with an iron fist saying, no, no, I want certain people doing certain. He was really wide open saying, all right, let's find your gifts and talents and passions and see if we can't make it work. Yeah. And uh, and it is such a big parish. There's a lot of ministries where there's a lot of room for people to share a lot of gifts. Yeah. So let's talk about tabernacles. No. Every church pretty much has one. Yeah, every Catholic and church. why? Yeah, so uh, the tabernacle is the holiest place on a ch- Catholic church property. So let's just think of St. Basil's, right? You come to the St. Basil's, we have five buildings and about 10 acres. Okay, give or take. Well, every building, something important is happening in it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that building, right? But one building stands out, and that's the church. That building is the place where we worship God, where sacraments are not just celebrated, but the very life and love and grace of God is poured out in the sacraments. And then even within the church building, among those buildings, there's a place in there that stands out as a very sacred, holy place. And that would be this tabernacle. This is the place where the Son of God dwells under sacramental signs, under the consecrated bread. And so tabernacles for Catholics are the central place. It is the epicenter by which all church activity rotates and flows from and leads to. There's nothing greater than union with God, so it's the high point. And we need a lot of help, grace, and inspiration to accomplish fruitful ministries, so it all flows from Jesus and the Eucharist as well. So the church has made famous phrase at this point is source and summit of all we do is the Eucharist. And then that Eucharist is housed, contained, tabernacled, if you will, in a tabernacle. And traditionally, they are very ornate to speak of the dignity of what it houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's what people are genuflecting to. They're genuflecting to the Lord Jesus, truly present under the sacramental species in Side the tabernacle. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So when you kneel, when you come into church, you're kneeling to the tabernacle. If there was no tabernacle, you would just bow to the altar. But because you're um, acknowledging God's physical presence, the Son of God's physical presence here, you genuflect as a sign of reverence that you're the great one. I give my life to you. I'm genuflecting to you. Genu means knee. So I'm bowing a knee to you like it does in the Gospels, like it does in the book of Revelations, the idea of reverence, honor. You are the king. Yeah, but it's not just genuflecting to the tabernacle. It's about what's inside the tabernacle. Exactly. But because of what's inside the tabernacle, that's what makes the tabernacle special. Yeah, exactly. The housing unit. Right. Whatever yeah. you want to call it. Well, you know, and tabernacles didn't just start uh, for the Catholic Church. They go all the way back throughout the Old Testament. So really, uh, if you begin with the history of it, what it begins is – Israel are a pilgrim people. The whole country of Israel is a pilgrim people for a very, very long time. Uh, so even though they were a people and they were a country, they were the Jews, they were wandering. 
As we know, they're wandering through the desert, and then they're wandering for a while. Yep, after the exodus, after they're freed from slavery in Egypt. Yeah, so freedom happens. God is with them. One of the reasons God says, hey, I want my people to be free, is I want my people to be free to worship. So that they can worship. Exactly. Not just freedom so that I'm not enslaved. Exactly. But it's yeah. a freedom to be able to do something. Exactly. And to worship. And so put yourself in those early years of a, of a Jewish man or woman. You are peculiarly, the word is in scripture, you're uniquely in a special way chosen by God. You are not the biggest country. You're not the most powerful. You're not the smartest. Always a hardworking people. You are even known by that secularly, but that, that, that was it. You were just chosen by God. So here you are delivered and set free from slavery by another country, right? And God is with you, not just in a spiritual way, but largely through Moses, but then also that's mediated through Moses. But then uh, they have this unique experience called the meeting tent. So you have a tent because you're traveling, you're wandering. And in this tent is the meeting between God and humanity mediated through Moses. So Moses would go in this tent and at different times there's different manifestations of God's presence there, but Moses would go in this tent and everyone else would wait attentively for Moses to come out of the tent, out of this dwelling place, this physical place among the community, the people of God, where Moses would go to encounter the living God. And he would go there and dwell there for a while. And then he would come out with either instructions or words of hope or the Ten Commandments came down from a mountain from that encounter. But these encounters of Moses and God were fruitful for the guidance and formation of a people that would be imitating God to the wider world. So they were going to be the people of God, imitating God in this world through a way of life, through worship, and other instructions that came from Moses after his meeting tent. That meeting tent is the archetype or the original imagery of what we call tabernacle. And it took on various different forms throughout Israel, eventually reaching a high point when they built a temple. So they were wandering people, but now they have land. Mm -hmm. And in that land, one of the first things they do, because God told them to, build a temple and not just like a mediocre temple, like save money off to the side for other things. He's like, give me the greatest and best you have because you need to recognize- decorations in it. Oh, decorations, art, beauty. And the whole idea was, I want you to realize that this building is for God. So you have a physical place to go to see and encounter and worship God. And in this place, there was a uh, there was a very special place even within the temple called the Holy of Holies. And only one person could go there, as the high priest could go there. And in the Holy of Holies was a special place, the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was housed parts of the um, Ten Commandments, Part of the manna, the bread provided from heaven to the Jews as they wandered through Egypt into freedom. And then Aaron's staff, which is a sign of their deliverance. They're being set free. So in there was the law, the way of life, right? the nourishment God gave, and a concrete reminder that he is a delivering God, a God who delivers you from slavery, darkness, etc. That was all there. And so it's from that place emanated the Holy of Holies, and then around there was the larger temple that everyone worshipped. So it was as if, as if that was like a nuclear center, and out of there came the power and the love and the glory and the memory of a people that was chosen by God and set on a mission that all the world would eventually come into the temple and worship the God of Israel. That was the hope, that they would imitate God and bring everyone in, all rotating around a tabernacle, a Holy of Holies, and worship. And so that's what the New Testament picks up really big is that 
a place where God would dwell with us in such a way that we'd have a focal point physically on where our worship would orient around so that we could become a manifestation of our worship to the larger community and bring God to the world and bring the world back to God in worship. Yeah, is God present everywhere? Yes. But are there particular places and spaces where God says, this is going to be a special reminder because I know human nature, I created it. And if <laughs> every place is all this, always the same, then we won't have those reminders to center our life around the Lord and to worship. Yeah. And the tabernacle being that tent of meeting in the Old Testament times was temporary. You'd like, they'd break it down, you know, uh-huh. and move it every couple of weeks or something. But then when they establish the temple, there's this sign of permanence. And that's why tabernacles today, they're not made of things that you take apart. Especially this back one. together. <laughs> yes. They're not yeah. made of balsa wood. They're yeah. going to be really heavy, you know, just like yeah. ambos and altars. And this one was made of uh, very precious metals. Yeah. You know, in fact, one one final thing in the scriptures is we all hear at Christmas time the uh, Gospel of John, and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The actual Greek there is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so that's where we get that word picked up right there is that the invisible God, second person of the Trinity, the word, the son, took on flesh and tabernacled, dwelled, abided among us. And how did he do it in the, in the gospels? In a physical way. And so when he institutes the Eucharist as the way he will physically remain with us always, right, we house that in beautiful ways in gold and ornate things called tabernacles. So that when we see them, we need it. God doesn't need the gold. We need the golden designs to remind us of the dignity and beauty and holiness that is God. So that it would evoke in us awe, reverence, humility, wonder, and hopefully on the deepest level, a great affection as a son and daughter to say, I've come to do your will. You are so good. I want to bring you to the world. Yeah. And and when something is sacred... You know, the root of that word is set apart. And so this new tabernacle doesn't look like anything we anything in your house, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. It is very different and that it means set apart back to we are set apart as a chosen people, but that invitation is now extended to everyone in the world, no matter what time mm-hmm. or who you are, where you come from, to be set apart from mediocrity, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from all those things that are not true, good, and beautiful, so that we can one day spend eternity with the person who is true, good, and beautiful. So, we talked about what is a tabernacle and and the purpose, at least historically, and the purpose nowadays for a tabernacle, uh, <clears throat> practically, like what 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 do we do with it? Yeah, that now in the life of the church, the tabernacle takes on two purposes. One is it houses the consecrated hosts that are extra at mass that we didn't consume all of them, and they're there so that we can bring communion to the sick and homebound. So almost every week, I'm going to one of the nursing homes if someone is actively dying and in need of um, anointing of the sick or the prayers of the final prayers of commendation, I will go, I will bring them the sacraments if they can consume them. I'll anoint them. I'll give them the Eucharist, um, things of this nature. So they're there for that reason. We have wonderfully trained men and women who are, who are able to, because of their 
uh, lifestyle and their commitment to the Lord to be trained as Eucharistic ministers. And they bring the Eucharist off our property to a lot of men and women in the area, homebound parishioners, other nursing homes, if I can't get to every one of them, uh, so that people who are at home but would love to receive the nourishment and love of God through the sacrament, blessed sacrament, they're able to. So that's the first reason of a tabernacle is to house the extra hosts that we would then give out to people outside the time of Mass. The second reason, and the church acknowledges this, that this, this reason grew over time, but the second reason was uh, to have a place where people could direct their attention in silent adoration of the Lord in the Eucharist. Now, we think of that explicitly in Eucharistic adoration that we do in our chapel on Mondays and Wednesdays, but this is also done, even though the Eucharist isn't exposed, just knowing that the Lord dwells here physically is a way we can direct our prayer in silent awe and gratitude and grow in our affection and love for a God who chooses to be accessible to us and a God who chooses to become vulnerable for us that can quicken our own heart to be near him in prayer, but also open us to be that way with others. And so the second reason is this adoration of the Lord, even if he's just, he's not exposed in Eucharistic adoration, but he's just there to come with contemplation, prayer, meditation. It gives us a place where the Lord dwells and can be a sacred place in a special way, as you mentioned, because obviously he's present to some way of all of creation, but just like in the incarnation, Jesus was in Galilee. He wasn't in, I don't know, Russia at the time, right? He was in Galilee. And so he was in a particular place in the incarnation. So too in the Eucharist, he's in a specific place here in Brecksville. And there's that the, the dual purpose is, is beautiful because it's kind of like combining the contemplative and active, you know, which we, uh, it's not just about praying, coming to the church and praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It's also about mission. It's about your, this is not just about staying. It's also about going. So we're going and taking Holy Communion mm-hmm. to yeah. the sick and to the homebound, to the elderly. So there's the, you've got right. the just both. Catholic both and. Yeah, and the, and the fulfillment of Jesus' commandments, right? Love the Lord your God, which is the first, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you have his two commands right there in the Eucharist. In fact, in the catechism, it says, for this reason, the reasons I just gave, both for the sick, but also for adoration of the Eucharist, The tabernacle should be located in a worthy place. Ours is right in the center. That's great. And the tabernacle should be constructed in such a way that it emphasizes and manifests the truth of the real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Catechism 1379. So it's saying right there that when you look at a tabernacle, it should be designed in such a way that it says emphasizes and manifests the truth that this isn't bread, that this is the real presence of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity is the way we say it traditionally, right? Present in a sacramental appearance, but this is the son of God with us, the savior of the world, the healer and redeemer of all human hearts. He's here. And so since he's dwelling in a box, for lack of better terms, that box should look a certain way Mm -hmm. uh, to evoke and awaken in us the truth of what we believe. And this new tabernacle, I think, does a great job at it. Yeah. So what happened about the to the old tabernacle? I sold it on eBay. Oh, <laughs> just edit no, that out. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it will be used actually tonight in our altar of repose in the parish center uh, because it's, that is the place, that, that tabernacle for 55 years 
has nourished this community. So we don't mm-hmm. just throw something like that away. That's It yeah. needs to be on it. So we'll use it tonight. And then we always have a tabernacle in the sacristy, just at different times we have to repose this Eucharist. We have to take them out of the main sanctuary, mm-hmm. cleaning, remodeling, whatever. We will have now our old tabernacle become that one. So it'll and, still be uh, a tabernacle, just not every day of the year. Yeah, and you just won't see it as much because it'll be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, this plays into the Eucharistic revival hmm. that's going on yeah. across the whole church. Big, big. Uh, and it's a three-year revival. And it's on reviving faith in the Eucharist, adoration of the Eucharist, and then that mission element, too, of where do we take the Eucharist to people. Yeah. Yeah, so this the bishops of the United States uh, decided on a three-year revival. We are in the middle of year two. Um, the first year was on the um, diocesan level. Uh, you may see billboards around town, things of this. The second one, the year we're in, meant to be the uh, parish level, the Eucharistic revival, which you've noticed we've done way more adoration than we ever have. That's part of it. Our high school youth retreat's focus was on the Eucharist, and now we have a new tabernacle. So these are ways that we've just kind of highlighted and emphasized it. And then the third year of the Eucharistic revival is really meant to be a national level, where there will be a national Eucharistic congress either in St. Louis or in Indianapolis. 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 And uh, they're inviting people all over the country to come for a gigantic revival. And um, we're looking to do something to cap off the end of that third year, something big in our area. So Father Matt Jordan, uh, now the administrator at St. Michael's, we're looking at doing a Eucharistic procession down Route 21. Um, People are involved in it, discussions, and we're looking to do something like that for our two communities to really end the three-year off in a celebration that our God isn't up there he dwells with us in very humble signs, but very powerful ones. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular tabernacle that we have now, it let's talk about some of the designs yeah. and some of the looks, okay? It has words on it, which comes back to the word became flesh mm-hmm. and dwelt among us. So Latin words, what are they? Yeah, the, the Latin words are Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaroth, which is... Uh, uh, Holy Lord God of hosts, which is what we say at every mass. We join, it's the priest will say, let us, our voices join with the angels as we acclaim. And then we say, holy, holy, holy Lord, Lord God. God of hosts. So uh, it takes that line from the, which is the hymn of the angels. And it wraps around the top of the tabernacle as to say, the bread of angels, another name for the Eucharist, the Lord of hosts, hosts are the angels in heaven is here. It's right. It's actually right here. He's not out in some invisible place only. He's being made visible here in through the sacraments. We can participate in our prayer and our worship in the God of hosts, the one that the angels praises is dwelling here with us. So that's wrapped around the top part of the tabernacle. And on the front, the uh, sliding door, <laughs> uh, it's not a hinge door. It's a sliding door, <clears throat> kind of a pocket door. Okay. And it has some imagery and what's on front of that? Yeah, so there's a host and a, a chalice of the signs at mass, but then around them are grapes and grains. So the wheat that's grown and then broken down to make bread and the grapes that are crushed to make the wine. Uh, there's a great imagery here that the church always sees in creation that the Lord takes something, it go, it dies, but then it rises to something even better. So wheat is just wheat. But if you 
destroy wheat, break it down in the right way, it can become With bread. human work. Yeah, human work, it becomes bread. So it gets elevated to bread. Grapes, crushed by human hands, squeezed out, it can become wine. So it was one thing and now it's a higher thing. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus takes these things and elevates them one more step to say, oh, now they're not just going to be uh, things in creation. They're going to become conduits for the creator. They're going to become the very ways that God himself will give himself to you and me. And so it's a, it's really important because if we if all we ever have is the crushing part in our mind, we think God is really mean. So we're going through tough times. We'll, we'll get upset and angry. And those can be healthy prayers. But he's only ever doing it to bring about something more glorious. So the death always leads to a resurrection if we continue to give our yes. And he creates it not out of nothing, but out of what he already had around. So he creates the fruits of the earth, and then he creates human beings. And human beings work with the fruits of the earth Mm -hmm. and make a new product, like wine and bread. And then God takes that and creates, sort of recreates it, something new. And it's just, like you said, further elevated. And there's a lesson in there about our lives and what is so ordinary (laughs) and what seems mundane, but how that can be transformed, elevated, and through a series of Paschal mystery dyings and risings, that's how saints are made. Yeah. You know, there's, I, when I was trying to pick out the tabernacle, I was getting some feedback and input and one of the reasons I liked this tabernacle was because of the grain and the grapes uh, for a couple of reasons. One was uh, our community is hardworking people. They, they work long hours, many people in our community. And just like you said is the grain doesn't become bread automatically. Human work has to be applied to it. So human work is a part of God's sanctifying part. It's not like our work life and our prayer life are opposed. They're meant to nourish each other. Mm-hmm. I also liked it because, you know, for all the if you will, glitz and glamour that the town of Brexville has, St. Basil's men and women, they're really down to earth. I mean, they're very relatable. They'll give you the shirt off your back. What do you need? Are you moving? Let me help you out. What are you guys doing at the parish? You need volunteers? You need help? I mean, they're really just kind of down to earth people. And I wanted to kind of capture that with this grain and grapes that God isn't just a top-down God where he just descends and impresses everything on creation. Mm-hmm. He also works from bottom up. A lot of bottom up. Yeah. So it's like he descends, and then once he descends, he works with, not against. And to get really theological for a second, this is also what we see in the mystery of Jesus. The divinity of Christ doesn't crush the humanity. But when humanity says yes to divinity, you get a fully alive Jesus Christ. He's fully alive. When I say yes to the Father, to God, I become fully alive. So in the sense, I wanted to capture kind of the earthly element, as you were saying, of our redemption, of our salvation. It's not just top down. He works with, in, and through us and elements of creation to bring about the new creation, which Mm -hmm. it says in the book of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we see this in the Eucharist, that something that was from this world by the work of human hands and the gift of creation, God works with those two and brings about his new creation, which are the sacraments, which help recreate you and me to bring all of creation back to the Father. So we talked about what is a tabernacle, and we talked about who is in a tabernacle. But right like you just said, when we give our human yes to God, amazing things can happen that really allow the divine to work 
And that brings us, of course, to the tabernacle. Yeah. Who's that? That is Mary, the Blessed Mother. Uh, How is she a tabernacle? Yeah, oftentimes you'll see her, uh, whenever tabernacles are constructed or discussed or anything, she'll always come up in the conversation because uh, she was the dwelling place of God. Quite literally, in her feminine body, in her womb, dwelled God. And he entered not through force, coercion, pressure, shame, or guilt. He entered through a question, wanting her yes. And when she said, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word, that was her yes. And her yes, with from God's promptings, allowed the Savior of the world to enter into her womb so God could take on our human nature and become like us in all things but sin. And then born of Mary, he entered in his mission of saving and redeeming the world. So Mary becomes, in some sense, uh, the living tabernacle. And it says in the Catechism, Mary is the model of the church, which is quoting the Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium. But what he mean, what the church is trying to get is, she is the role model for you and me. Mm-hmm. At Mass, we offer the Eucharist, but then we receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And then we become his dwelling place. And so we become transformed from the inside out by the power of the Eucharist and our surrender so that we can become what we receive to the wider community. And like Mary who birthed Jesus into the world, we would give Jesus through our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our whole body would become Christ into this world. And that allows, that's particularly the expertise of all the lay people at Mass, not me, but the lay people. Your families, your workplaces, your hobbies, the Brexville Rec Center, London Pickle Works, uh, Austin Steakhouse, Heinen's, Marks, wherever you're going, you are really meant to be Jesus with your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands. You are meant to be him into the world. And that comes through the nourishment and deepening of our Eucharistic spirituality. So we become living tabernacles too. That's the hope. And so Christmas can be every day. What'd you get me today? <laughs> I, I am trying to give birth to Jesus in the world. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really and, and make the word become flesh yeah. by recording this for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but really, Christmas every day. Yeah. How sweet would that be? Just a yeah. bunch of people giving each other gifts. Yeah, I think the of, greatest gift. A gift. I, you're, okay. you, know, you know Teresa of Avila better than I do, Tommy, but uh, you know she does have this great line. Where she says, Christ has no eyes but yours, no ears but yours, no mouth but yours, no hands but yours. And there's kind of this meditation on like St. Paul, like we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. He's the head, we're the body. And if you separate a head and body, you get death. Mm-hmm. And so the way to stay united to Christ is through uh, the sacraments and then living a life of uh, heroic virtue and love, being generous, forgiving your enemies, prayer, sacrifice, et cetera. So we're excited about this tabernacle. You're going to see it and you're going to be like, whoa, (laughs) right? Yeah. And can people come and look at it? Yeah. So I want to invite everyone, uh, especially the first couple of weeks, like after mass, come on up into the sanctuary and get close to it. Try not to smudge it with your fingers. But like, you know, get close to it, see it, see the designs, look Show at it. Show your kids. Yeah, bring your kids up, pick your kids up so they can see it, they can feel connected. But just be mindful when you're entering that place. That is the sanctuary, which is the word holy. That's the holy place within the church, the part set apart. So you're entering a very special place. So I am inviting you up so you can see the tabernacle, but please try to do it with some reverence and awe as you realize this is the dwelling place. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, But I would love to see families and young and old to come up and just see the beauty of this tabernacle. Our other tabernacle was installed in 1968. She was here for 55 years. Uh, I think this tabernacle, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, uh, I think it will last longer than 55 years, which to think about how many generations of Christians we don't even know yet will come and find hope, healing, peace, power, faith, love, all because of this tabernacle and what's more importantly, what's inside the tabernacle. So feel free to come on up and check it out. Yeah. Genuflecting would be appropriate. Yeah. Genuflect down on one knee and then back up. And if you can't genuflect, little bow, we get it. Mm-hmm. God gave us the bodies that are failing, so he understands as well. And we have railings on the edge of the sanctuary we do. for people to to help get up. Well, uh, <clears throat> here's the thing, though. That all sounds great and good, but uh, couldn't couldn't we have spent this money better? I mean, isn't this a, isn't this a waste? Now you said someone donated it, mm-hmm. okay, very generously, awesome. But uh, why 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 spend money on something like this? Well, yeah. So there's, I think what Tommy's getting at is sometimes there can just be a presumption that's in the culture, and it creeps into the church at times. It's like, Father, you could have taken that money and then you could have like helped someone in need or done something for the poor. And it's like, well, first off, I don't think it's in either or. I think as a generous people, we should be able to find ways to meet both. But it's also true that that question, couldn't you just give the money to the poor? That exact question was asked in the Gospels, uh, and it depends on which Gospel you read, but one of them says it was in the apostles yelling at Jesus for the same thing. Tommy, do you have a passage here on that? Yeah, Yeah. so in Matthew chapter 26, you'll remember the story, everybody. Jesus is at Bethany in the house of a leper, and a woman comes to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she just dumps it on his head, right? He's sitting at the table, (laughs) and she pours it on his head. This was, uh, this had been done before. This wasn't a brand new thing. And the disciples see it, and they get really angry, and they say, why this waste? This ointment could have been sold for a large sum, and we could have given the money to the poor. And Jesus says, why are you giving this woman a hard time? Why do you trouble this woman? She's performed a good service for me. You always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me with you right here. So that, you know, you read, if, if you forget you've ever heard that story before and just read it with new eyes or new ears, all, all, read it with your new eyebrows and your new nose <laughs> and, uh, it can be a little a little jarring. Yeah, what's interesting is at the end of that gospel passage, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that about any other story. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't hear this story enough <laughs> because it's supposed to, anytime the gospel is preached, we're meant to tell the story. Um, but for me, it does a few things. First is it sets a order to things. If you have to choose between God and the poor, God does come first. Now, most of us never have to make that choice between the two, but sometimes we need to. Sometimes we just need to say, oh, I need to give an emphasis to God so that he can reorder my life. And then with their new ordering, new way I'm living, I will have more time, energy, and maybe even capacity to give to those in need around me. Mm-hmm. So Mother Teresa, right? she served the poorest of the poor and maybe did more work for the poor than any of us who are listening to this will ever do. She had a nun that came to her and said, Mother, while you guys are doing your holy hour, I can help at least 15 people who are in the food line. 
I can do that in the morning and then I'll just pray later on in the day. But let me get going on this food line while you guys are doing your holy hour because the people are just waiting outside. And Mother Teresa told her, you do not yet understand our work. You now have to do two holy hours a day. So Mother Teresa, the one who served the poor the most, more than any of us who are listening to this or I ever will, and is a role model for us all, she understood that Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament came first. Once you've spent your time with him, then you're enabled to actually serve the poor in the way they deserve, mm-hmm. which is what Tommy said earlier. You can be a tabernacle for them now. So I think that's super important to get that order right. I think the second thing Jesus himself says when he's uh, tempted by the devil uh, in the garden, in the uh, desert, he says, man does not live by bread alone. Meaning uh, the poor have real needs. That's why we have such an act of Vincent DePaul here. Uh, I, through the help of finance council, have constantly allocated more and more money to Vincent DePaul the last few years because of how many people turn to us for help. I helped start and up- because of the generosity of our parishioners. Well, generosity, for sure. I couldn't do anything with the money without them giving. Uh, I've also helped with Robin Young's to start a new ministry at Mary Queen of Peace called Love Your Neighbor, where there's more outreach and work being done for people in the inner city there. We've continued to brainstorm with St. Catherine's Food Pantry on ways we can make that more vibrant. So we are definitely a community that's focusing on the poor, which is important. But every one of those people who gets a sandwich from us also has other needs, like meaning. Does their life matter? A sandwich doesn't convey that, but love does. How about hope? You know, will any, is anyone thinking about me? Can I reconcile with my family? Will I ever overcome these addictions? Hope is a gift that doesn't come through peanut butter and jelly. Hope is a spiritual gift. And so traditionally in the church, we have the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, which is to say you are both physical and spiritual, and the church needs to take care of both. But of the body and the soul, only one lasts for all of eternity, and it's the soul. So the soul does need a specific primacy. And in our culture, we tend to forget about the spiritual dimension of man more than the physical. And so all the more do we need things like beauty, sacraments, scripture, saints, prayer, truth, forgiveness, mercy, hope, and sandwiches, shelter, soup kitchens, community, after-school education programs, addiction recovery programs. We need all of it. We just need to be fully the church. And so that's why we have a new tabernacle. It was time for us to spend a little time getting our church building back to what it was meant to be and what it can be, so that our worship is vibrant and transformative, and then we can bring that beauty of heaven on earth to others through hearts that have been healed and drawn into communion with Jesus. And so that's the hope that this new tabernacle will help us accomplish, is mm-hmm. to become fully Christians, both the vertical, God in us, as well as the horizontal, brothers and sisters in Christ and to all humanity. And that criticism about money and how to allocate resources is not new. People have brought it up before. Well, of course, in Jesus's time in this story in Matthew 26, but also if you look at the Vatican and churches in Italy and Vatican City, look at St. Peter's Basilica, these amazing, amazing sculptures done by the greatest artists humanity's ever known. And people have said, why don't you sell that and feed the poor? And it's like, we, we are feeding the poor, just not with food. We're feeding them with that beauty that raises their mind and heart to heaven. Because if you sold one of those statues, if you sold one of those works of art, if you sold this tabernacle, you could feed people, but it wouldn't be for 55 years. 
you could feed them for a couple weeks, you could feed them for a couple, you know, people for a couple months, and then that food's going to run out. So when Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you, it's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. So if we're always going to have them there, what can we give them? A long-lasting gift. If we're always going to have the poor, then can we always have a place for them to come worship? And in St. Peter's Basilica, I've never been there, but there aren't people there at the doors checking your tax returns to see- I would say more importantly, people aren't doing that at St. Basil's, right? So like no matter your education level, your job or unemployed, big house, small house, good family, broken family, everyone's invited to St. Basil's. You can Mm -hmm. come in, join us for worship. And if you've become Catholic, you're going to participate fully in the sacraments and things, but everyone's invited to come to a place of meaning and beauty and goodness. And it is for everyone. The tabernacle is for, first and foremost for us, the faithful, but it's for all of Brexville. Anyone can come. Yeah. So that's that's how we can have a, an enduring gift mm-hmm. that uh, doesn't just feed the body, but feeds the soul too. Awesome. Wow. Well, this, uh, if you haven't seen the pictures and you just listen to the podcast, uh, the pictures are on Facebook and they're on Instagram. And you can see it tonight or real soon. Absolutely. Yeah. This Easter Sunday will be the first time the Eucharist will actually be in the tabernacle, which is pretty neat. Holy Thursday, the church begins with an empty tabernacle that continues through Good Friday to feel the loss and ache when Christ died and was buried, that we are without him in this world. So we're meant to have that ache of an empty tabernacle. And then this Easter will be the first time that the Eucharist is in this tabernacle just like when he rose and the glory of his new life with all that power and hope that will be housed in our tabernacle in the sacrament of the Eucharist for us to always celebrate, pray, and receive. Really good things are happening at St. Basil the Great. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Many have, and they still are. And whatever the last few years have brought, those are a little Paschal mystery, but we have come out of that and we are strong and new parishioners are joining every single week and young families, and people of all ages are joining. Mm-hmm. And this is a real sign of hope and vibrancy. And thank you, people. Thank you for your generosity. And uh, there are many ways to give gifts. So, And please stay tuned for some big announcements over the summertime of some new ministries, both for young and old. And so please be aware of them uh, as they're coming out, because we want to make sure that everyone here Going to hear the gospel. So be aware. They're coming out soon. Well, Father, can you just lead us out in a prayer about sort of being those living tabernacles that, that you mentioned? Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for the love you have for us here at St. Basil the Great. Every place matters to you, and every person matters. And so there's a love you have for our community that is different than you have for any other community. And so we thank you for the uniqueness of the love and grace you share with us. We thank you for the generosity and the humility of the donors. Bless them because they're able to bless all of us with such a beautiful tabernacle. And help us every time we see the tabernacle to grow in our faith of your presence in the Eucharist. And every time we receive the Eucharist, help us to recognize that our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls are now yours so that the beauty and fullness and glory of divine life can shine out through our bodies like it did yours, 
so that all we meet and help and love, even our enemies who we're working to forgive and walk with, everyone we meet would actually find you. And in finding you would find the way to the fullness of life. Through the intercession of St. Basil the Great, may God bless all of you who are listening to this right now with peace and an increase of faith, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.